Welcome to the Holy City Church podcast station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. And he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, for the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting of asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reasons by his senses' mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the element spirit of the world, why, as you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion as asceticism and severity to the body, but they are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for, for what you have given us that we can understand who you are and what you have for our lives father we we just so thankful for these words that uh you allowed paul to write to this church that we can also benefit from thousands of years later lord father we just ask that you start to soften us if you haven't already lord and and, and allow us to understand the words father and know that these words come from you and they're not made up by men they're directly from you father and, and it's just to edify us while we glorify you father Lord, we ask that these words that I speak may be yours and our minds, Lord, and, and it can touch the hearts of everyone who's listening to this, Lord. Father, thank you, and in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to tell you a story, a quick story. When I was about, uh, I think it was roughly, I'm going to say about 15 or 16 years old. Uh, it was around 11th grade or something like that. Uh, I convinced my mom to sign off and take me and sign a paper to get an ear piercing. You'd be like, wow, that's a, that's a big step. Yeah, I know. But I actually convinced her. I actually wanted, I was aiming for multiple ear piercings. I was like, you know, I want a couple of, you know, one earring. Why not, right? Uh, I was only able to convince her for one. She allowed me to get one ear pierce. Uh, all my friends had them. It was kind of cool, right, at the time. I'm sure it's still now in high school. I don't know. I, I don't go to high school, but... Uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, they had, you know, male earrings where they were, you know, made for specific guys to wear. And, and they were cool because I liked the color red. So I was like, oh, they got red earrings. And, oh, it's so awesome. Uh, many of my friends had it. So I was like, hey, you know what? Why not? If we all have it, I want one too. Pretty cool. Uh, and my mom wasn't very happy. She let me do it. She wasn't very thrilled about it. 
she was like, all right, because, you know, I know you're probably going to find a way to do it yourself. So as a man as well, uh, let me be there and that way you do it correctly and not get any disease or infection or anything like that. And the youth pastor at the time wasn't very thrilled either. Uh, we were, I was under the impression as they, you know, were telling me how I shouldn't have had done that, that because of the piercing that I had done on my ear, uh, I wasn't safe. So the idea that I had was, oh, now that I look a certain way, I, that means that I'm not really saved or, or, or was saved and I'm no longer saved. Uh, and that was kind of the thing that kind of impacted me. And, and I remember it being so, so taken back by it because I couldn't believe that just because I had a piercing, uh, you thought I wasn't saved. And to be honest, I wasn't at the time, but hey, that's a different story. Uh, but it was a really, really difficult thing to, to listen from, from somebody because they thought that Christians shouldn't look certain ways, shouldn't do certain things, uh, especially something like a piercing, which wasn't supposed to be meant for uh, a male to do, right? A guy to do. And as times passed and I grew and I continued to be involved in the church, I continued to face other scenarios where I was uh, disciplined in the church because I was doing something that Christians shouldn't do, or I was wearing something a Christian shouldn't wear, or, or things like that. So I did see that happen a lot. Uh, you can say I kind of broke the rules a lot. There was a lot of rules that I broke. <coughs> so as, as I look back, and I realize, as I also look back and I realize why my friends wouldn't often, they would often cast me out and just push me to the side and be like, ah, oh, uh, don't don't bother Angel, don't worry. Uh, the reason why they would, you know, actually do that was actually the problem. Uh, they would say it was because I was too religious. So they would say a lot of times, no, because you, you don't know, you can't do this or you can only do this. Uh, we don't we don't we don't bother, right? We don't bother telling you or letting you know uh, because you know, you're a very religious person. You know, I, I, it was never any point in time where they would say, hey, you know, we don't hang out with you because you're always talking about Jesus or, or you're always talking about church or anything like that. We just don't, don't hang out. We just don't ask you because we're just it's too difficult to kind of keep up with your rules and your laws and your regulations. So we don't know what you're allowed to do. We don't, we don't know what you're not allowed to do. So why bother? We're just going to not invite you all together. This idea of, of following rules is very common among different types of churches. As most of you know, uh, there's many churches out there that teach that in order to be okay with God, we need to make sure we follow all the rules. You must do certain things. We must not do certain things. And for the most part, when you really look at those rules, rules they, they end up being man-made rules who they expect us to follow in order for us to meet the criteria that they think we should meet in order to look or to think that we are saved. And this here is called legalism. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Legalism. And that's when we set a specific amount of rules and in order for you to be saved, you have to meet those criteria. If you don't meet those criteria, if you don't follow these rules, you're no longer saved. And I want to be clear, 
I'm not talking about just rules we can do, you know, so I could do things right in the church, right? There's, there's rules. We start at, eight, at 11 o'clock. That's the rule. At 11 o'clock, we start. You know, uh, we go into this time, and after this time, we stop. We come in here. We all dress. We close. You know, nobody's here coming nude or naked or anything like that. We know those. I'm not talking about those kind of rules. Uh, main main rules that we must follow in order to be right with God. That's what legalism is. It's rules that we say that if you don't meet the rules, you're going to hell. You're not going to heaven because you haven't met these rules. You're not following these rules. And there seems to be a bit of the same idea in this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. Looks like there may have been some type of wrong teachings that was influencing the way they went about their lives. And if you look at it, he's actually tackling three specific uh, laws or rules. He first goes into food, right? What you can eat, what you can drink. He talks about festivals and days of worship. And then he talks about a, a, a sense of false humility. But in general, when you see at everything Paul's talking about here, he's talking about legalism. Now, first two things he tackles are two laws that are coming from the Mosaic law. Then one rule that's coming from what we have been spoken, speaking about the last couple of weeks, which is the Colossians heresy. And to understand the legalism behind what's happening here, we have to kind of put this a little bit into context. So I'm not going to go full context on this because this is very deep and very uh, long to, to, to study. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about what's happening, the context of this, so we can understand where the legalism is coming from. So when it comes to the two Mosaic laws, uh, these are laws that were taught in the Old Testament for Israel to practice. These were two laws that were set for them in specific, so they can be set apart from everyone else. They were told by God himself, through Moses, you must follow these laws if you are a Jew. And these two laws were part of what they had to follow as part of this covenant that Israel had with God. And this covenant is what allowed them to stand out from everyone else that was around them. All the cities, all the people, everyone around them, because they followed these laws, before, because they followed these rules, they stood out. Everybody else was doing everything and anything, but they weren't. They were set apart, so therefore they would follow specific laws. So the first law you can see is in regards to food. And if you go to Leviticus, you don't have to. I'll, I'll give you the verses. You can read them off the screen. But Leviticus 11 kind of, you know, it kind of puts everything together. It doesn't go into details. It, it kind of just mentions them. As, as you read through the Old Testament, you see these laws more in detail. But first, when it comes to food in Leviticus 11, you look at verse 2 and 3. It says, of all the animals that lived on land, these are the ones you must eat. You may eat any animal that has a divided hoof or that chews the cud. So right off the back, he's saying, you can't eat all animals. You can only eat specific types of animals uh, that are on land. And then if you continue to verse 9, it says, out of all the creatures living in the water of the seas and the streams, you may eat any that have fins and scales. Again, Another law that says you cannot just eat anything that's in the water. You can only eat specific types of animals that are in the water. And then in verse 13, he says, 
These are the birds you are to regard as unclean and not eat because they are unclean. And he says the eagle, the vulture, the, uh, the black vulture. And they mention a few more, etc. You can go ahead and, and read that. So they're saying, so uh, he's saying, hey, you can't just eat any bird you want. If you're going to eat a bird, you cannot eat one of these birds. If it's one of these birds, don't eat them. If, it, if it's not one of these birds, go ahead. You can eat them. And then in verse 20, it says, All flying insects that walk on all four are to be regarded as unclean by you. There are, however, some flying insects that walk on all fours that you may eat. Those have jointed legs for hopping on the ground. So basically, hey, you can eat crickets. So why not? But anything else, no roaches, no, no, no eating, none of that stuff. All that is unclean. So here we go. So we got a list of animals, a list of uh, animals on ground, a list of animals on the ocean, a list of animals in the air, and a list of insects. There's so the specific rule was, if you're going to eat an animal or eat something, we must fall under this. Other than that, you cannot eat it. So the law says, if you eat any animals that you shouldn't be eating, you will be considered unclean. So in front of God, God sees you as if you were dirty, and therefore you need to now go through a ritual to therefore again be clean in front of God. So if you eat any of these animals, whether it was by mistake or on purpose, you're no longer clean. So you have to go through a ritual to become clean again. As a matter of fact, you were not even to touch any of those dead animals. If you found that dead animal that was on the list and you would touch it, you know, dead on its own. Of course not, because you got to eat an animal if it's dead, right? So if it died on its own, uh, whatever reason, another animal killed it or it was diseased and died, uh, whatever it was, if you would touch it alone, you were already unclean. So therefore, you couldn't even eat it. And then he moves on and he talks about the festivals uh, in the days of worship. And you can actually see that in Leviticus 23. I'm only going to read a few. There's, you have to read the whole thing. Uh, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of different information there. Verse 3 uh, says, talks about the Sabbath. They are Leviticus 23 verse 3 says, There are six days when you may work, but on the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest. A day of sacred assembly, you're not to do any work. Wherever you, where, wherever you live, it is Sabbath to the Lord. So work for six days, and on the seventh day, which was Saturday, you do not work. You do not do anything. Then if you continue, verse 5 and 6 talks about the Passover and the festivals of the unleavened bread. It says, the Lord Passover begins at twilight on the four, 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must eat bread made without yeast. So here's a festival, right? 15 to 22 is another festival. I'm not going to read it. It's the festival of the weeks. Uh, if you look at verse 24, it talks about the festival of the trumpets. It says, say to Israel, on the first day of the seventh month, you are to have a day of Sabbath rest, a sacred assembly com commemorated with trumpets blast. And that's just to name a few of the festivals that they would uh, have to uh, celebrate. And up to today, many of these festivals, many of these celebrations, uh, many of these holidays, I guess if you want to call it, are still in tradition. They're still followed by those who are Jews. Uh, and they are followed very, very closely and, and, 
and they never miss any of those holidays and even back then you were not supposed to miss any of those holidays or any of those festivals or you shouldn't uh, do work on the Sabbath. We all know what happened to Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. They, they didn't take that very lightly. You know, so this was, these were laws that they took very serious. If it was the Sabbath, don't do anything. And I've mentioned stories before in the past how nowadays the Jews, when, when they do certain things, they don't do certain things on Saturday, right? Like, for example, you know, I used to work at a hospital. The elevators on Saturdays open and close automatically every floor because they are not allowed to touch the buttons to open the elevators. They couldn't touch the button. That was work. You go in the elevator, you got to touch a button. What floor you want to go? That was work. So what happened? It's a Jewish hospital. Every floor on Saturday opens by itself. So you can get off and on wherever you need to without having to touch anything because it was work. They take this stuff very serious. Okay? These were laws that were given by God for them to follow. But these laws were given to the people that must follow. But for us, these practices were just what Paul calls it, a shadow of things to come. But then if you continue, you see another one, the third one, which was a sense of false humility. And we also, we, we, we also have to look uh, what it looks like, the teachings from these arrogant thoughts, these arrogant people who taught that they needed to be abstinence for certain things and to worship angels. And the only, you know, and if you do so, if you're abstinence and you worship angels, you're declaring and you're saying and you're showing how humble you are. And most scholars agree that the idea seems like it's coming from the fact that you're, you're not worthy enough to have any pleasure in your life and you're not worthy enough to deserve to talk to God. So therefore, because you're undeserving, you need to humble yourself. And the way you humble yourself is by uh, abstaining from uh, anything that's higher than, than what you deserve, which is, you know, you know, pleasure or talking to God, right? You don't deserve to talk to God, so you're going to remove yourself from talking to God. So therefore, go talk to angels. Go, go worship angels because that's the only thing you're worth doing. We have already talked about something similar where we should, uh, where they would teach that we should go to the saints as our mediator. And when Paul says, there's no need for you to do that, you can go straight to Christ. He is your medi uh, mediator. You don't need anything. But in this instance, it's not because they can uh, do something for us, but it's because they're, we are too humble, we are too broken, we're too poor to go to God himself since we're not really worth it. So it's a little bit different, right? He's not saying, hey, let's go to the angels because we need a mediator. We're saying, hey, you're not worthy enough to even talk to God, so don't even bother. So it's like saying you're broken, you're nobody, and you're unworthy of speaking to the kings of kings. Now, I'm not saying we have a freedom and this is not about talking about a freedom to do whatever we want with no consequences. We're going to see next week how there, th that isn't the case. Paul, you know, talks about that. He just doesn't leave that up to us to figure out. But a lot has changed since the law was originally given. Okay? God, in the person of Jesus, has fulfilled 
all those laws and all those rules that were set in the Old Testament for him to fulfill. He had already, he has already fulfilled those laws. So we're no longer bound to the idea of the separation between the Jews and the Gentiles where we have to follow specific laws in order to be different from everyone uh, because that's the only way we're saved. And, and we don't have to be bound to that idea where we're not worthy enough or, or, or we're only worthy if we follow rules. We no longer have to worry about that. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 16, it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing with wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he puts to death their hostility. So we no longer need to look at laws to say, hey, I am this person, or I am greater, or I am that, or I am worthy enough. We don't go to those laws anymore. That was put to death. So then what Paul says about this? Let's look at what Paul says in regards to these legalistic laws. If you start in verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, but with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. See, there's a connection uh, here between last week's verses that we read. So Paul is saying, because Jesus was already victorious, because Jesus was had victory on the cross, don't let anyone judge you in regards to what food, what drink, or in other matters related to laws. Don't let someone judge you by what you're eating or what you're drinking. Now, he's not saying don't let people mess around with you and, and go fight them. You know, if somebody's trying to judge you because you're eating pork and you shouldn't be eating pork and he's going to come tell you he's not saying go fight them and go defend yourself right he's not saying that he's saying don't let them cheat you out of the truth when they come with all these legalistic ideas don't let them allow you to believe that you must follow these laws and rules in order to be saved so basically guard yourself against those who are requiring that you obey the old testament law in order to be good with God. And the reason for that is because it's what Paul says in verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You must understand that these are not bad laws. Okay? These laws that we're, we're, we're that I'm talking about, hey, you must not, you know, you don't need to follow and that's been done with don't worry about it. Uh, it's not because they were bad laws. These are good laws, laws that work. It's not because they're bad laws, but those laws were just a shadow of who Christ is and who was Christ was going to do. That's all it was. And since Christ already fulfilled them, we no longer need that shadow because Christ already fulfilled it. So therefore, the shadow has physically been done. It's physically been here. 
So these laws are no longer binding in the new covenant. The, the representation of these laws have come physically into this world to save us. And that is Christ. That's what those laws represent, Christ. And he came, he fulfilled them because we couldn't. But because of that, it's well now, if you, see, if you look at 1 Timothy, I'm not going to read it, we now have that all foods are pure and every day is a day of God. So now we, we're not saying, hey, completely don't worry about them. Hey, don't worry about the laws. We're saying that every food is pure and every day is a day of God. So what does this mean? First, that we are free to keep or not keep a kosher diet. And we know a kosher diet is the diet that the Jews specifically, you know, they don't buy anything unless it's kosher. We know that, right? So what Christ did is that we're no we are free now to either eat kosher or not eat kosher. So if you want to eat pork, eat pork. But if you want to be vegan, be vegan. Doesn't matter. Go ahead. If you can't afford to buy organic kosher food, the good stuff, the expensive stuff, hey, by all means, buy. If you can only afford to buy the, the processed type food where we know that you know, uh, there's certain foods that are cheaper. It comes in cans and stuff like that. If that's what you can afford, then buy it and eat it. The only thing I would suggest is remember that all, not all food is good for you. There are some food that is bad. So I do say that if you can't afford to buy the healthier type of food, go ahead, do so. Because that is the temple of your spirit and we are responsible for this. So just because who cares what you eat, let's just go buy all the garbage food and eat it. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. But at the end, it doesn't really matter what you eat as long as you're eating knowing that what you have came from God. He provided that food for you. So if that's what you have to eat, that's what's there in front of you, and you eat it. It doesn't matter because you know that that food is there because it was blessed by God, given by God. If it wasn't for God giving it to you, you would have not had it to begin with. Second, this also means that we are free to partake or not partake in these festivals and we're free to to keep the sabbath whatever day of the week we want to keep the sabbath if you want to keep the sabbath right the early church decided that rather keeping saturday as a sabbath they decided hey let's switch it for sunday because that's the day that jesus rose from the dead so let's go from keeping the sabbath on saturday let's do it on sunday that's okay you want to do it on saturday do it on Saturday. You want to do it on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday? That's fine. We're free to do that. You want to celebrate only Christmas? Or you want to celebrate Christmas and Hanukkah? Or maybe just Hanukkah? Both? Neither? Doesn't matter. I do suggest that if you are going to observe any holidays, it be a holiday that's glorifying God. So that too. It's not just, you know. But it doesn't matter what Old Testament law says in regards to the festivals. 
and in the Sabbath, as long as you know every single day of your life belongs to God. So if you're, the thing is that if you're aware that every day belongs to God, you're going to do the right thing every day. Because every day belongs to God. Everything you do every day is a gift from God. And everything we do every day must glorify God because it's a gift from God. So what you eat or what day of the week you used to worship does not get us any closer to God. That's basically what he's trying to say. doesn't matter what you're eating. doesn't matter what day you're, you're worshiping God and you take to worship God. It doesn't matter. We could have said, hey, you know what? Let's just all meet Monday. doesn't matter because what day we choose to worship God as a church, as a family of Christ, and what we eat does not say that we're closer to God or further from God. These things are just symbolic. The real substance of anything is Christ. Anything we do, the, the center of everything, everything is because of Christ and revolves around Christ. In Christ is how we get closer to God. Him alone is our judge. He is our judge and we look to Him only. We don't look to laws. We don't look to food. We don't look to festivals. We look to Christ. Then if you go to 18, Paul talks about the next issue. He says, let no one disqualify you from insisting on, on asceticism or worship of angels. So he's saying, be on guard against anyone who requires you to follow specific rules. That way you make yourself look humble. right? Because being humble doesn't depend on what you give up. He's like, I'm giving this up, I'm letting this go, so therefore I'm humble. It doesn't depend on that. It doesn't depend on who you worship. You say, well, if I worship the lowest possible creature ever created, that makes me more humble. But if you're worshiping God, you're, you're not very humble because you think you're all that because you can talk to God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't set your humbleness. thinking that we must worship angels or we must give up everything you have to be close to God is coming from a false teaching. If anyone would tell you you need to remove something from your life of pleasure that is of God, okay, don't take me out of context here, all right? If it's of God, right, like we have many priests who, who abstain from, from any relationship at all, with any woman. They don't get married. They don't procreate. They don't have sex. Didn't. That was something God gave you. Right? Just because you decided to do that. Doesn't mean you're humble. You know that idea of, of giving up your bodily pleasures correctly. Okay? Don't take me out of context here. Right? There's always a right way and a wrong way. But the idea of you giving up and being abstinence of something like that gives the idea that you're, you're more holy. That's what they think. Right? I've been, that's what I've been told. I've never tried it for, for being a priest or anything. But the idea is that you abstain from that and that makes you holier. And you're holier because of that. For holiness is measured by the fruit of the Spirit, not by what man-made tradition uh, we follow 
or what we sacrifice. Our holiness is seen by our fruit, not by what we sacrifice, not by what tradition we follow. And this is, this is wrong also because even the angels reject worship. How many times in the Bible do you see someone, you know, uh, shocked at what they're seeing? They saw an angel and they bow down to the angel. They fall in their feet and they try to worship. And the angel always says, no, don't worship me. Revelation 22, chapter 22, 8 and 9 is a good example. John, he falls on his feet to worship. And he's an angel who's going to worship. And the angel tells him, hey, I'm just a servant. What are you doing? Get up. Don't worship me. So even the angels are telling you, don't worship me. So why would us worshiping angels make us more humble? Angels are just created creatures just like we are. We are created creatures. As a matter of fact, we are above angels because angels are just messengers. We're a creation of God for his glory. We're the ones that are promised eternal life forever. The angels are not. We are. There's nothing about worshiping angels that makes you more humble or even more spiritual. But the truth is that when you exalt Christ above angels and all of men's ideas and, and you realize that you are saved because of his finished work, there's going to be no room for any pride to begin with. So we don't have to follow this rule of sacrificing what God has given us to enjoy. No, I don't go on vacation because, you know, I want to be humble. God gave you beautiful spots to go and look at and enjoy. Why are you, you know, because you want to be more humble, I'm going to sacrifice from doing that. That doesn't mean, you know, you're any closer to God because you did that. Doesn't mean that you're saved because you did that. It's because of what God did. It's why you're saved. And there's nothing else that is going to get that point across. You got to remember the reason why Jesus did what he had to do to begin with. Why did Jesus have to step down from his throne to come into this world? Why did he have to live a life perfectly here to die as innocent men in a cross to just you know, come back to life three days later. Why did he have to do that? Just think about it. It's because of how broken we are. It's because of who we are. Just remember that, and that alone is enough to humble you. You don't need to say, well, I'm going to do certain things in order to be humble. But just, just think about it. That's not going to give you enough where you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to walk out and be like, I'm the man. No, you're no one. Look at what Christ, look at what God had to do for you. Finally, Paul says in verse 20, If with Christ you died to the eternal spirits of the world, why ask if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to these regulations? I mean, then... If you are in Christ, why are you submitting to these rules and regulations that the world are setting in order for you to think that you are okay with him? 
the death and the restoration of Jesus is what we believers need to identify with. Not laws, not rules, not regulations, not ideas. It's Christ. If we say that we're in Christ, why are we making the teaching and the ideas that come from men more important and above Christ himself? Why is it that there's church that says, no, 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 yeah, Christ did what he did, but you must also follow this. Wait a second, if, if Christ did what he did, that's enough. Why are we making a checklist of things that we must do? Church, we have to remember that sin is not an external issue that we can fix with a checklist of stuff. You're saying, well, I have a problem. We all know we have a problem. We sin against God. Let me make a checklist of things that I must follow in order to make things with God. Correct. That's not, that's not what's going to tackle sin. Your rules and your regulations is not going to fix sin. We might see a little bit of external change if we follow certain rules. You know, let me not do this, and you'll see a little bit of an external change. But inside of you, there's still that, that ugly, sick, uh, broken, dead heart inside of you that those external things are not going to fix. Remember, the law is not our foundation. Christ is our foundation. And remember, I'm not, I'm not talking about just living any way we want, right? This is not about, okay, so we don't have to follow the rules, so let's live any way we want to live, and it is what it is. But the laws that Christ fulfilled are permanently fulfilled. And if there's any man who tries to bring them back as means of our salvation, it's an attack on what Christ, we must also do this. They are literally, directly attacking Christ and what he did. And even Paul says, look, these men are going to seem smart. It's going to sound smart, right? Remember last week, there's certain things that are going to sound very smart. And we have to be very careful with This is it. These men are going to come with these ideas that are going to be very smart. But none of these men made legalistic rules have any real value for anything. Because the only means of salvation, the only act of value, the only truth that matters in this life is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, that's something that, man... I am so glad that is the way it is like that. I am so glad it's like that. We have this promise that a perfect God promise. Laws and my rules and my ideas, whether you're saved or not, let me tell you, you're all going to hell. Because, <laughs> man, sometimes I even get this wrong. So imagine that. If you're dependent on a man to tell you what you need to do in order to be saved. But it's not. It's dependent on God. It's dependent on Christ. And because it's dependent on him, our salvation is a sure thing. And we don't have to worry about the rules and the laws that we as humans misunderstand all the time and we get wrong. 
I mean, not too long ago, we talked about how, you know, the churches were not understanding, you know, the Old Testament very well. So what Jesus had to do, he had to explain it to them. He goes, hey, this is what this means, man. We must be glad because we, we depend on him. And if we depend on him, if we trust in him, it, we know that he fulfilled everything. And in that is how we find salvation. He did everything on our behalf, giving us. Just trust it and receive that free gift. That's all you got to do. It's as simple as that. We don't have to do anything. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library of sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Mm -hmm.